Hi everyone, welcome to Coaches on the Couch. I'm Rachel Birchmore. And just before my co-host Louise Rogers joins me, just wanted to say a quick word about the podcast for any new listeners out there. So um, Louise and I provide leadership coaching and leadership development programs for architects, engineers and other consultants across the built environment. And in this podcast, we explore all aspects of leadership. So if you have something to add to that discussion or you think we should address a particular topic, uh, drop us a line. Uh, you can get in touch via the Coaches on the Couch socials on LinkedIn or Instagram or have a look at the Step Up website, uh, which is stepuplondon.com. OK, let's jump into the conversation. Thanks very much. Hi everyone, welcome to Coach on the Couch. I'm Rachel and I'm Louise and this morning we're delighted to welcome Holly Lewis who is co-founder of We Made That. Hi Holly, how are you? Morning, very well thank you. That's good. Um, so as ever before we get into anything else let's chat couches. So Holly please tell us something brief and interesting about your couch. Yeah, I was warned about this question. <laughs> I'm thinking about it. So I mean our couch is probably a little bit emblematic of our life situation so bought by two 30 somethings pre-children and now a little bit worse for wear for having right. a three-year-old and a four-year-old <laughs> and all over it uh, so if you look too closely in the image you might see the odd stain or like somebody climbing around in the background but that's it really well people often come on with the kids on the couch on the um on the photos as you'll see on instagram so all good we're very that. we're very used to stories where kids have ruined couches and I remember that well and there's absolutely no point in getting a new one until that stage of that stage of their lives is is, is over I don't think no absolutely I think yeah we're, we're in it for the long haul yeah so let's do a quick introduction to you and to we made that uh, you co-founded We Made That with Oliver Goodall in 2006 uh, to deliver urban research strategies and master plans and public spaces and buildings exclusively in the public sector, which I find really interesting and we might come back to that. Uh, your work across the UK reflects a strong social conscience and the practice became a certified B Corp in 2021. And Holly, we thought maybe the best way to approach this was to ask you to pick a couple of uh, of recent commissions, which to your mind sum up the essence of, of what We Made That does. Yeah, so I've been thinking about this and the work of the practice is sort of organised into, I guess, three strands and they're not kind of exclusive silos, but they, it's sort of structured under research, strategy and urban design and then delivery of public spaces and buildings. So I think I probably need to pick three projects to uh, cover that breadth. And I think maybe the ones to pull out are um, on the research side. There's a few sort of strands of research that we come up against quite a lot and we're thinking about often. One of those is cultural infrastructure in the city. So one of the things that we've recently done is redo the London-wide cultural infrastructure map for the Greater London Authority's culture team, which is just mapping where everything is. But as part of that, we also undertook some survey work and some more detailed sort of qualitative research about the impact of Brexit, the impact of COVID, these kind of things on the cultural sector. So there are some really interesting things that mm. came out of that in terms of where the impacts of those bigger changes are being felt. And it won't be a surprise, yeah. but it is none, nonetheless sort of stark to see how how unequally some of those impacts are felt. So particularly yeah. with diverse-led businesses or women-led businesses, those impacts being more difficult to overcome. So there's that kind of thing, which is thinking about the city in, in a way that we find really interesting. On the strategy side of things, we've just earlier this year, a strategy for Hackney Central. So Hackney Central Town Centre Strategy, 
which is looking at the whole of Hackney Central and thinking about how, as change happens there, because it's a place where there's a lot of urban change happening, how that should be directed and what should be the focus in terms of making sure that the benefits of that change are felt in the places that are needed in Hackney Central. So that's been very focused on intended impacts, like what would be the measures that we look at now? How should those measures be changing if we, like how do we know we're doing well against this strategy? So again, quite sort of research informed, but definitely an urban strategy identifying mm. particular projects. And that was successful in securing about 20 million pounds through the leveling up fund for Hackney Council that they're now in the process of delivering. So that's been really rewarding and interesting. And then the last one on the delivery side of things, there's a few to choose from, but I think there's a strand of our work, which is around places of work and industry that sometimes overlaps with the cultural infrastructure right. that's places where you're producing cultural things um, and at the moment we're working on a project which is the retrofit of a large town center unit in Basildon to create a sort of digital screen industries workspace and kind of hub in the town center there so that's really exciting as well we also help them to secure some money from the arts council to live for that so it's quite a breadth of different things yeah a lot of things yeah a lot of things being made, as you say, on your excellent website, making, making <laughs> physical things, but also documenting and um, researching things as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's yeah. a pretty good introduction. Uh, we've had a number of B Corp certified organisations on the podcast. Um, so we're interested in building on those conversations today and delving perhaps a bit deeper to understand more about what that status really means for a studio, for its team and for its clients on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and also, you know, this thing about you only working in the public sector, how that kind of fits with the B Corp thing as well. I'm just thinking before we get into that, it'd be great to just start with a general conversation around leadership, um, perhaps what that means for you personally, Holly. Yeah, so I think this is something where probably my answer maybe five, six years ago would have been quite different when I'd be like, oh, leadership oh, sounds kind of icky. <laughs> uh, sort of corporate and abstract and you know you can't put me in a box man or I don't I don't know like uh, I think a word that probably would have sat not very comfortably with me and then a few years ago we did a course actually I, I was the one who sort of did it um which was the Goldman Sachs 10,000 small businesses right, course, yeah. which is a sort of growth program which was informative and helped me probably better pick through some of those business development related issues that I think that we otherwise I mean, we've always tried to run a good business, but I think we hadn't quite appreciated ourselves as entrepreneurs or like mm. not thought about it like that. We're running a, an architecture practice and maybe the projects sort of take priority over some of those things. Through that process, I think I've been like, actually leadership, yes, leadership. Okay, why not leadership? <laughs> and <laughs> especially thought leadership. And I think that's always what the practice has been doing, actually, is like, these are really important issues and we need to think about them carefully we need to communicate them effectively we need to show our principles in the way that we're approaching our projects and be led by trying to make the world a little bit better <laughs> through the work and I think that sort of always underpins the project so it does kind of lead back to um, what you were saying Louise which is around this commitment to just working in the public sector that sort of underlying principle of being accountable through some kind of democratic structure and process to the people in the areas where we're working is what really drives us is how our projects are useful and impactful to the places mm. that we're working in that sort of taking that stance and saying this is what we're going to do that's going to be a red line for us we're only going to work with public sector and charities has sort of 
driven I think there is a sort of leadership in that is saying absolutely these are the things that are important and so through that growth program I think I've personally come to embrace that word of leadership more and in a way through the pandemic that was even more important like oh the team mm. need us as, to say this is what we're going to do we we know what's going on we're in control as much as anybody is and to embrace that role as a leader and I think there are some roles that I have that sort of reflect that too so I'm a mayor's design advocate for the Greater London Authority more recently appointed as a chair on the Croydon panel and it feels like um I feel like I've got that experience behind me now where that's valid and I feel that I have something to say and so yeah leadership why not it's so good I think it's really interesting that you felt uncomfortable with the terminology and perhaps the preconceptions and the and the stereotypes that that exist around that word leadership. Um, but actually thinking about sort of how you've grown into recognizing it's like when we say about role models, when we talk to sometimes we talk to leadership or young leaders in particular about how they're going to be role models and there's about you know there's a crossover between being a role model and and being a leader and and uh, maybe we complicate the whole concept of leadership with too much talk around what it means and and what it is and how it behaves and I think you've just described very well that uh, we can become more comfortable with it as we sort of grow into a role and, well, uh, and, and unpack it I guess isn't it I mean when we're coaching and somebody says a word and the word might be leadership or it might be confidence or it might be motivation I mean the first thing we'll do is unpack that word so you know when you say leadership what do you mean and it was interesting listening to you yeah you know, the abstract concept is quite uncomfortable but actually when you unpacked it when I wrote down entrepreneurial thought leadership make the world better outline our principles, values, um, and giving direction. And then also you positioning yourself personally within that, um, what used to be an abstract concept kind of made it more real and comfortable. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, um, yeah, sort of through through doing that programme, I think we were also better able to feel some kind of connection to some of those fairly abstract sort of mm. Uh, if you do an MBA, these are the things that you're going to learn kind of concepts that feel like, oh, I don't know if that really fits for us. Like uh, somehow our practice doesn't quite work like that. Actually, the, the program that I was on was for all kinds of businesses. I was in a group with somebody who does electronics manufacturing in Yorkshire and a right. guy who makes meringues. But there was so much commonality between the things that we were struggling with sharing that some of those things which can sound sort of yeah corporate and sterile I think yeah um, became meaningful so if we're talking about human resources like okay well I do know what you mean and that you can sort of connect that back to your own experience and I think embracing that has been helpful because you can hear mm. all of those all that stuff that you read on LinkedIn leadership blah, 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 <laughs> that feels very um like ugh, sort of polished I can pick through that and be like okay well I understand how that relates to to my business and the way that we run it and I think it's that there's a sort of culture clash between I don't know fighting the good fight and being really interested in design and wanting to have fantastic projects and um the sort of slick well-oiled machine of a business that somehow those things can feel like they don't mesh yeah um, but I think but it's we... that metaphor isn't it the metaphor that you have for your practice is different to that well-oiled machine metaphor that sometimes exists yeah and I think now 
having been through that process feel like a sort of good health check or an MOT of the whole thing like all right yeah so there is not some secret thing that we don't know about or there is not yeah this that corporate world machine like that can be us we can think about ourselves in those terms (laughs) it can be useful actually be helpful yeah um, take things from so it was the goldman what was it called the goldman sachs 1000 10 10 000 small businesses Ten thousand small mm-hmm. businesses just for just for our listeners to be able to look that up and um and it made me think as you were talking then where do you think that um desire to as you put it fight the good fight came from i think it came from just what we're what we're interested in and in a way it's sort of a little bit told by the story of the practice so we um started as you said in 2006 we were 22 so in between we're actually both doing our part one year out so between our degree and our masters um and we entered a competition to design a beach hut where you had to make a little model and send it in and it sounded fun and we would go to the seaside and have a look at the place and like okay we'll have a weekend to the seaside we'll make a model send it that'll be nice and we won the competition You're like oh right okay so now we have to build this thing and the budget was twenty thousand pounds which to two twenty two euros wow we're going to give us 20k wow and so we, we set up a website and got a bank account and all of those things but there was no bigger plan to establish a practice at that point it definitely became intentional but at, at that point it was sort of because we were enjoying it and i think for a while that carried on on the side of work and on the side of studying and so we were only doing projects that we really wanted to do because it was things that you're doing on your evenings and weekends. So it has to be something that I'm really interested in. Uh, and it's not just about making money because that's not what we're trying, like we weren't intentionally trying to build something. It was just, that was a fun thing to do. So we keep doing those projects. And so that commitment to what is architecture and what is design and how is it relevant to people and how does it make things better for them that's always been what drove the projects that we were interested in so then after a few years of doing those things evenings and weekends and on the side you've got a little quite nice portfolio of projects that sort of summarize that the beach hut was for Lincolnshire County Council or East Lindsay District Council with funding through the County Council so our very first client was public sector and I think that relationship of delivering a project for the public or for a wider audience beyond a private domestic client or even beyond a developer has always been something that we've been really interested in and so building the portfolio in that way meant that by the time we actually needed to kind of rely on the business so essentially when Oliver had finished his master's and we he didn't get another job after that he just was working on we made that project and then a year or so later I left my job to to join as well Mm -hmm. is that you've then got quite a long track record of having worked on those projects um which was really nice and I think it was perhaps that ability to pick and choose the projects that fit with this sort of ethos that we were interested in that we wanted to champion above and beyond just paying the bills meant that by the time we did need to pay the bills we've got enough of a track record to to sort of trade off basically and we've always Mm. stayed there what led to as you've grown that sort of transition to becoming B Corp certified I think it comes out of some of that same Mm. ethos actually it's like what we're interested in is how our work as built environment professionals can make people's lives better, uh, can be relevant to everybody. I think there's sort of maybe partly through some of our narrow experience working as we were qualifying, like just not that interested in doing expensive domestic projects. And I know that there are lots of people that do them and find great satisfaction in them. And it's not to, to diminish that, but 
um, to spend all that time to become an architect and then just be benefiting somebody who's got loads more money than anybody else it's like oh this is not really good enough actually when architecture is great it's it's because loads of people can enjoy it and and see the benefits of it so that had underpinned the practice for a long time and we'd made that explicit commitment to only work for public sector and charity clients a long time prior to becoming a vehicle so we've always felt like okay we there's a sort of a differentiator between us and many Mm. other practices in terms of who we'll work for and And did it require a change Shelley? I think it's required lots of little changes. So when the pandemic, I think we've actually been looking at B Corp certification before the pandemic, but when it hit, everybody was then saying, oh, we're really interested in social value. Oh, we're really, yeah. really interested in environmental impact. Like, hang on a minute. We've been saying this stuff for ages. <laughs> we've, been, we've been championing walking and cycling and working on active travel projects. And we've been thinking about biodiversity. Like we've, we've been doing this and <laughs> we need something something then that sort of raises the bar a little bit about not just warm words from everybody but something which is then externally verified which is what the b corp process does if somebody else assesses your processes um i don't think it made a really massive difference to any one area but there's lots of areas where it's changed things so we're much more transparent with the team now we're much more explicit with our clients about the good that we can bring we're much more focused on tracking and understanding impact of the work um, and reporting on that and I think probably being a bit more um, vociferous about some decisions because even like our our public sector clients are trying to do the right thing but sometimes you know politics around things or something can Mm. can make some some decisions difficult for them and we can say no this is this is the right thing to do and I know there's lots of people talking to you about cars but we really have to change the sort of modal proportions of people who are using active travel in this place or for for example and I think that B Corp status has sort of elevated that position a bit and and made us feel that we can I guess it's leadership as well offers some leadership yeah. in the projects in terms yeah. of making sure that they're uh, having the most maximizing their positive impact so does it provide a kind of rigor or sort of yardstick against which you can measure and uh, not just what you do but how you do it it absolutely does, yeah. So it's very thorough. There's loads and loads of questions that you have to go through and answer. It's like the number of hours spent on volunteering and amount of profit share given to the team uh, on sort of internal side and then all the way through to what the impacts of the projects are. It's an American system, so there are some things that are slightly weird. It's a percentage of projects that exceed the local stormwater code and stuff like that. But it covers that whole breadth. Um, and what it's really good for is prompting you to think about things that otherwise you don't even know that maybe would be good to have actually so the thing about reporting um to the team for example so we report fortnightly on finances how we are against our targets through the our all office meetings uh, and then we share the quarterly management accounts with the team every quarter but we could have done that all along we don't have any problem with that issue of transparency but when somebody's prompting you like do you do this like well we don't but we can and so there's a sort of um yeah checklist of things where you're saying being prompted I guess to to do better and saying well for from B Corp's point of view this is what good practice looks like um and to work through that list and I think that's what we'll continue to do because it also allows you to say well this is where we are now but we would like to be at this other level or we would like to be achieving that Uh, and it doesn't mean that at the point where you certify you have to tick every box but Mm -hmm. it does give a sort of yeah, structure for improvement that's really, really helpful. We're now approaching recertification next year. So we're having a look at that all now and 
what are the things that we're not doing and we could be what are the things where um we should be improving our performance on this or sometimes you, maybe things that are falling back do you find that the, the people how many people work with you now how many people about 20 about 20 do you find that the people who work with you are consciously said with you rather than for you then which is interesting isn't it this is because of the, the b court thing do you find that they all engage with the business aspects of the business i the think they're running of the business um I mean, some to a greater and lesser extent, I think they're all interested in that. And I think that particularly came to the fore across the pandemic where, and that was when we brought in this kind of fortnightly reporting because everything was so changeable and and I think it was troubling. Um, and to provide some reassurance of like, this is where we want to be. This is how close we are to that target. These are the things that are in the pipeline that can help us get there. Uh, this is This is what it is, that there was no sort of secret knowledge that we had that, they weren't party to I think was really reassuring so I think particularly that level of reporting has been really well received yeah. we invite or kind of ask the team to contribute to various wider sort of policy updates and we have a transparent pay and competencies framework so there's a long list of competencies that we use for staff reviews uh, to say that against each of these competencies we consider like, collectively we that you may be developing in those skills that you're securing those skills or that you're mastering those skills and score that and then that translates to where you sit on our pay framework which is also transparent so we did a lot of work with the team to develop that and I think some were more enthusiastic about engaging with that process it gets <laughs> quite um sort of technical and maybe bureaucratic yeah um, but it's quite sophisticated for the size of practice doesn't it well I think it was just um what if we're going to do something do it properly <laughs> yeah, well, so that felt like it felt like that needed to happen and that um the team have high standards for these things, actually, and they hold them, mm. hold us to those standards. So we have to invite them in. And I think, like I say, we, we get maybe more engagement from some than others on those kinds of things. But everybody's invited. So kind of then up to you. If you yeah. had the opportunity and you decided not to, then OK. I suppose mm. being a B Corp does raise the expectation of your team, doesn't it? It does set a higher, it says to them, you are setting a higher standard. So actually, it's probably, I'm waving my hands for listeners who can't see it, but it's probably sort of step from you and the step from the team. And then together, you're sort of raising raising that bar. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, I mean, it's a little bit like you get all these awards for best employer. We've never submitted for any of those. It feels a little bit, I don't know, hubristic somehow. <laughs> but it is a little bit like that, isn't it? It's like saying, we do well. So then you expect them to say like, all right, then do it. Let's mm. let's see that. Yeah, which is which is interesting. I'm wondering, I mean, one of the things we coach around a lot is how people get their teams to sort of take more responsibility and want to take more responsibility. And do you think it has an impact on that? I think, again, it's probably varied. So we also have we have things where we've tried to, I guess, engender that sort of attitude. So we've got a participatory budgeting element of our right. overall budget which is like okay so then you guys you can use this for a project you could go and I don't know take everybody on a field trip or whatever this is just a budget for, for you which mm. is sort of like okay participate this is some mm. some money that you guys can spend on whatever you think and I think often although we have we do have requests to use that budget um that sort of collective endeavor can feel like extra homework or like right. an extra okay. thing above yeah. and beyond what what we're really here to do which I understand and then when it gets used it's great and I think the, the team enjoy that too so I think I think that it does help and I know that the team are always interested although 
again, I think it's that sort of culture shift between the well-oiled machine of a proper business <laughs> and a, and a, and a, the practice in general, the projects. I think there can be a bit of a culture clash when we do some of these exercises. We did a um, mm. kind of manual of me exercise over the summer, which I don't know if you... Oh, what, sorry? Manual, manual of me. me. Okay. It's a sort of guide to yourself and how you like right. to work. And particularly thinking about people coming into the team or maybe even kind of managers coming into the team, more senior people coming into the team and wanting to know how their teams prefer to be communicated okay. with or what yeah. kind of day how they like I like to, to be work managed how yeah, I work. exactly yeah, okay. exactly that yeah. so like first of all let's think about it because that process is useful yeah and then let's put it down so it can be something for people to refer to mm. um so I I don't know I prefer written feedback I prefer to have verbal feedback but then followed up with an email or something like that um and I think some people oh this is all a bit well I was going to say how did that go because we we talk about that a lot on our programs we use manual of we me but I, I like that like terminology it. yeah I've heard pers- um, personal operational manual on a course I've been on recently but <laughs> same same sort of thing but I mean how how was that received I think with some uh, skepticism, maybe, right. <laughs> which is fair, like, that's fine, that's fine. But then useful. I mean, I think we found it useful. Um, I hope it will be useful in the future. Yeah. I think it's a good way to bring people into the team. We found um, it particularly useful when we've used a, a different approach to get to the same, to get to the same thing. Um, you know, there are some people that like to have more time to prepare for a meeting, for example, and don't do well in brainstorming meetings. And there, there are others where brainstorming meetings just, you know, fire them off. Uh, and there, are, and but there are people who prefer to have time to think and to and to plan their contribution. And I think that when we've done it with teams, that's been one of the most useful things to come out of it. Is you know because there is an assumption that everybody is like you sometimes. And just that kind of recognition that people think and prefer to be communicated with in different ways, within different ways, I think can be really helpful in mm. it. Yeah. And I think even just to to ask each individual to spend some time thinking about that, because yeah. otherwise you're just sort of living in your own experience, are you? Yeah. Like, oh, I didn't really enjoy that. Yeah. That didn't work for me. Like, well, then let's think about it. So how did that work better? Or are you confident speaking up in these kind of rooms or do we need to make a different space to hear back from you? Mm. Um, so, I mean, that's the idea. So did you use somebody externally to facilitate that? It feels like it needs a container, like a safe space because it's quite vulnerable, isn't it? That kind of exercise. And it's... Yeah. Um, we didn't use anybody externally, but we did do it on a team away day. So we were away from the office. We yeah, okay. did other yeah. fun things. So it was sort of wrapped in with other activities and mm. not just kind of, can you do this on your lunch break? Um, <laughs> You've got five <laughs> minutes. How do you want to be communicated with? <laughs> Go. <laughs> yeah. No, that's really interesting. I was just thinking that I would like to ask you about, you know, the B Corp, the social conscience, the work in the public sector. I was going to ask what your attitude is towards growth, because, you know, the growth of business can be quite a complex thing. And I know that there are people who would argue that seeking continuous growth is is not healthy for people or for the planet. And I just wondered what your views were on growth and where you see the future of of we made that yeah so we thought about this long and hard so that that Goldman Sachs program that I mentioned is all growth growth Mm. growth 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 and they're talking about you know become a millionaire and get a yacht and like uh, it turns me cold personally (laughs) but nonetheless the the thought process that we went through when we're thinking about that is that our I guess kind of mission is to be influential contributors to the built environment 
And there is something about a certain amount of scale that is required to have that influence. So for us, growth and scale is about maximizing that influence. Um, mm. I think there's a limit to it. I don't think we have to be the size of Foster's to have that. But there is a certain thing about having a certain scale and a certain amount of sort of heft behind the team that is important to be able to deliver on yeah. wanting to have that impact. So, so we do think about growth and we call it growth and we know kind of what the structure of the team looks like up to a certain size. Uh, we are having experience I think we have been a little bit bigger than we are right now in the past and I think there's a certain amount of greater level of freedom and discretionary spending that you can do when you've got a bit more money in the bank that is also really useful so we do see a certain scale I think I mentioned that we're about 20 now I don't I think up to about twice that probably would be comfortable yeah. um, it's sort of there are steps aren't there in yeah, yeah. architectural practice sizes and 20 is around one of them yeah and I think we've we've hit the point where I think we needed to sort of bring in better systems. I think the systems that we yeah. have in place can can support a team that's slightly larger than 20. But equally, so long as it's all adding up and we are making the money that we need to make and everyone's being paid properly and so on, we're not going to get, you know, we're not preparing for a sale. No. <laughs> so that, that, that sort of drive for growth doesn't trump everything else. Um, mm. But we have an appreciation for what growth can do in terms of improving the sort of impact of the practice that we're interested in it must have been interesting on that Goldman Sachs program where as you say I'm sure the majority of participants that was their that was their focus and their ambition have you kept in touch with any of the people that you did that course with yeah you have. yeah 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 we are still in touch we actually did a little sort of catch-up day last year or so with my sort of little group yeah it was great Actually, we are all still really in touch. Like, oh, how's it going? Did you manage to get rid of that director? <laughs> uh, it's good to to sort of have that um, have the perspective of of mm. people who are doing something completely different from you as well, isn't it? And yeah. probably different reasons rather than um, put up the barriers and say we do this. You know, we're fighting the good fight. We have strong social purpose, so we're not interested in private developers, for example. Yeah. But we still, I mean, we've all got to make the same things work. We've got to keep our teams happy. We've got to have the right staff in place. We've got to train them. We've got to make sure that the finances are adding up. Like there's so much more in common than there is difference, I think, yeah. between us and some of those other businesses. And many of them totally love their businesses as well, even if they are preparing for a sale at some point. Some of them, I think, maybe hate their businesses also. <laughs> but see that too. And I think, yeah, we've all got to have the same sort of fundamentals in place and be dealing with the same challenges. I think it was a really good lesson to see how much we have in common with, with everything. And it gives me a different appreciation. In a way, what my favourite project at the moment is the practice as a project. Yeah. It, it, and I didn't have that perspective prior to... I think that openness to other sectors and other businesses and other ways of sort of operating is really healthy because we don't always we don't always hear that I don't think from architects engineers um or anybody actually who works in a particular sector um we're coming towards the end of our conversation uh, unfortunately because it's good to chat um and I think just one area that we were really interested in it was I was reading the I think it was the Reba journal Rising Stars recently and one of your colleagues Larry Botchway was in there with his work with Poor Collective and 
I'm really interested with architects generally, this crops up a lot, but how you sort of align individual interests like that with those of the practice. I just wonder how that how that works. Yeah, we're very proud of Larry. It was great to sure. see that. Really, really good. <laughs> I think, I mean, I've described a little bit how the practice started, which was us mm. and doing some work on the side of when we were with other practices. And they were always very supportive, um, particularly with that Beach Hut project. I remember doing sessions with the team that I was working with at the time, kind of being coached through like, OK, so then you should do this and then you should do that. And you're going to need a structural engineer. You should probably go and talk to these guys and that kind of thing. Really appreciating it. And I think what that left us with is a sense that actually people who are doing projects on the side little practices bits going on outside of we made that is brilliant yeah. definitely if you're sending a cv into us if you've got something like that going on it will like put a little marker like have a look at this person because i think you learn so much about being self-initiating and seeing projects all the way through and looking for problems like if you're having to take the whole responsibility for something all the way through there is no sense of like oh well somebody else is going to sort that out or if the deadline moves back, then, you know, it'll be fine where the partners can cover it or I don't, I don't know. Yeah, that's um, interesting. I think yeah. it can really help with the sort of uh, faster maturation, I guess, of, of someone. Mm. Um, so it's definitely something that we've always looked upon really positively. We've had quite a lot of team members who've had that sort of dynamic doing things along the side. We've, we've never seen it as a kind of threat to the practice or as long, you know, as long as we're appropriately um, dealing with any conflicts if we would be applying for the same competitions sure. or something like that then we totally embrace it and I think there is a really strong alignment with what Larry's doing at Paul which is fantastic with some of the things that we're interested in so yes. they're particularly interested in kind of working with young people and engaging young people with the built environment and co-design or well, like <laughs> yeah, yes, why, why wouldn't all of that please that? <laughs> exactly we would love to have yeah. that and we're yeah. really benefiting from Larry's skills and experience on that front and I hope and I think that he's learning and benefiting from being part of our practice too in terms of how to see things all the way through fairly recently qualified architect so there's lots to learn at that point in your career and I think it's mutually beneficial and we really welcome it mm. and yeah like I say it's something that we've always been like great if somebody's doing that then they know what they're about they know what they're interested in they're still applying for us um I think it's um only to be applauded yeah, yeah. It's kind of more power to your collective elbows isn't it really <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then at some point, you know, people move on to do their projects. And, oh, that's a shame because we liked having you here. But I think um, another thing that we're sort of reconciling ourselves with a bit more is just being really proud of the things that people can go on to achieve after they've been yes. with us. And that's really rewarding. So um, another example of that is Pooja Agrawal, who's chief exec of public practice, yeah. worked with us. I, I don't think we can take any I claim the credit for that, but <clears throat> but it's lovely to see people going on and doing great stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and there's some reward in that too, even if it's slightly painful. Like, no, Absolutely. Well, it says a lot to, about you guys as a as a studio, I think, as well. That's that's good. We did a whole podcast actually, didn't we, on that with Paul Monaghan from HMM about how people have gone off and done different things and the generosity that that is from from them as a practice. He's got mm -hmm. some quite impressive alumni. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that is bringing us to the end of the, the conversation. It's been really nice chatting with you, Holly. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of insight there for people listening. So thank you very much for being generous with your knowledge and information. That's great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Holly. Very nice to meet you. Hope to see you again. Yeah, great. Bye. Bye.